0: The following program is presented by the Far East Broadcasting Company, because stories of people living out the gospel with their lives inspire all of us. FEBC, taking Christ to the world through radio and new media. Learn more at
1: febctoday.org. I think the body of Christ that is not experiencing persecution can come alongside and watch and see what God will do, even in circumstances where many of our brothers and sisters are are in a prison.
0: We'll discuss Christian persecution in the Middle East with Josh Youssef on this edition of First Person. Thanks for joining us, I'm Wayne Shepherd. Before we get started with our interview, please take note of our website, firstpersoninterview.com, These weekly programs are archived there for listening on demand. Plus, you can see who's scheduled to join us in the weeks ahead. Also at the website is an opportunity to learn more about the Far East Broadcasting Company, who is our partner in bringing these conversations to you. FEBC is dedicated to bringing Christ to the world through radio and other forms of media until all have heard. At the website, you can request a free online devotional, How Shall They Hear, with scripture and prayers woven together with listener testimonies, firstpersoninterview.com. Josh Youssef, the son of pastor and broadcaster Michael Youssef, leads a ministry called Help for the Persecuted, focused on helping our brothers and sisters in the Middle East. Josh joined me from his studio in Atlanta, and I asked him to begin by
1: explaining how and when he developed this burden for the persecuted. Wayne, it was about 10 days before September 11th, I had gone to Egypt and went to a church where there was a revival meeting taking place. And here in this revival meeting, there were these Muslims giving their life to Christ. I mean, women covered, you know, wearing burqas and, you know, men with the sort of the long beard, the very religious Muslims. And the pastor said to me, he said, many of these people who make this decision for Christ are going to pay a heavy price. And it, it just dawned, it just sort of hit me, it struck me, and we come from a Western culture that um, we don't pay a heavy price to follow Christ. And he later, this pastor, took me to his office, and in his office, he had this back room behind the office. It had this, like, what I would call, like, a, a bathtub it was a baptismal pool where he baptized muslims in secret and he's probably this pastor who's now gone to be with the lord i wouldn't be surprised if he's baptized more muslims than p- perhaps any any believer or pastor in modern history wow that's remarkable yeah so that that really was a what i call like the first ember <laughs> it was the first ember in this in this flame of passion to see the muslim background believing church thrive and grow and be what the Lord has called it to be. It's a very dangerous part of the world to become a Christian, isn't it? It is. Um, I remember the first time I baptized a Muslim, and I mean, con- he was a convert, and the the pastor who had been discipling him for months. He said, "When you baptize this man, you need to ask a series of questions. You know, is Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior? Did you know? Do you believe Jesus died for your sins?" And he said, "The last question you need to ask is." are you prepared to suffer for Jesus Christ? Oh, boy. And it was like, I cannot believe that I have to ask this question. I, I, I mean, I, I don't even know, can I answer that question, <laughs> you know? And now it's it's such a joy to ask that question, to see these people with with great expression of, Excitement and enthusiasm on their face. Just say yes, Iowa. Nam in Arabic. You know, yes, of course I will. Yeah, it's it is it is a different it's a different paradigm. You might have a family member who would be not thrilled about someone accepting Christ here in America or the West, but the but the fact that these people will be kicked out of their homes many times, kicked out of their homes many times. What they do is um, sort of the method of operation is okay if somebody converts they. The family tries to to win them back to Islam, and then they call the sheikh, the Islamic priest, and the Islamic the Islamic priest comes in. And he 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 starts to cajole and he starts to convince and starts to show verses from the Quran and sort of debate. And then, if the convert doesn't come back to Islam, they start to actually get physical. There's been times where we've we've dealt with cases of electric shock, mm-hmm. uh, female genital mutilation. Um, locked in a room a dark room for 30 days or more intense torture in order to convince this person who they think has gone crazy uh, back to islam
0: i think for many people this is a bit of a surprise because we may have heard of muslims being rejected by their family but the the idea of physical harm torture in some cases that's that
1: surprises us in many ways in the west it does, you know. I've always wondered, Wayne, why I get a reaction. Sometimes I either get a reaction of people who are genuinely concerned and want to know more, and then there are people who almost want to shut it out. And I don't. I, I've often wondered why that is that that some people reject this or don't want to believe it, or they don't. And I wonder if it's because we believe that that the Christian life has to be victorious, in, in this and this victorious life means that we don't suffer right that that's the western that's western christendom right that we that suffering must somehow mean that you've done something wrong or you've done something to deserve it i think but the reality is is that you know philippians 129 it has been graced unto you not only to believe in jesus christ but to suffer for his sake right and there's a church that is experiencing that passage every day
0: well i want to talk about what you're able to do to help the persecuted Uh, But let's talk about the area where you concentrate. You're in the Middle East and
1: North Africa, as I understand it. That's correct. Our team is basically from Morocco all the way to Iraq. Uh, So you're talking about a population of about 400 million Arabic-speaking people. And there's varying degrees. I I call it sometimes you have, and it depends on the seasons and (laughs) times of history, but you have what I call garden variety persecution, which is... uh, Parents and mosques coming against a convert, or or sometimes coming against a, an ethnic Christian, someone who's born into a Christian home, and then you have cases of ISIS or Al Qaeda or radical, uh, you know, Jabhat al Nusra, whoever the radical group is that is causing a much more extensive damage and and, and uh, subjugation. So there's, there's all kinds of different persecution in that, in that context, but they oftentimes take on the same, um, the same form. You know, sometimes we read our, our cases, you know, we're reading through these cases, and it's like, I think I just read this case. And it's just like the case before. It's, it's the same uh, attempt to bring that person back. It's the same use of same verses in the Quran, same tactic. It's just a different person in a different country. I'm
0: sure you have to be careful, but and you don't need to reveal everything, but how do
1: you go about making contact and networking with those who, who need the help? You know, primarily right now, we're working through um, many of our trusted partners. So sometimes uh, within a refugee camp, within, uh, within a town, within a village, within a church body, there exists this network that uh, these cases will kind of rise to the top. You know what's in, what's interesting about this part of the world is there are some churches who will not touch converts. For them, it is a threat to their existence if they're caught discipling, baptizing, evangelizing. Um, you know, Muslims or, or converts dealing with converts because even in a very secular environment, uh, a very secular Islamic country would still have fairly strict rules against proselytizing, discipling. And so you could, as a church, you could lose your license, you could lose your property, you could lose everything. And so it is oftentimes a very small and very bold church population that that kind of comes and helps these people. And so they'll sometimes come to us and say, we need your help in this case. And that's when our our field workers come in on that case. And in in many respects, our field workers are sometimes the Take take the greatest risk. Yeah, they're the heroes, aren't they? They, they really are. Uh, how do you how do you go about helping? What can you practically do in these situations? As a result of what ISIS did, that that's really driven a lot of our a lot of our needs, uh, and mostly housing needs. So we've we've created about seven safe houses around the Iraq, Lebanon, Jordan region, and we will oftentimes put these people into these safe houses. They're they're large apartment, I mean, huge apartment blocks, and we'll put them together. Sometimes we move someone from one village to another village, and that gets them out of the immediate danger and gets them into a a Christian community or a community of converts where they can um, work together, pray together, be discipled together. And sometimes what these people will do is they'll go to another Middle Eastern country where they can serve. It's hard for us to, to understand this, that in the Middle East, on your identification card, your driver's license indicates your religion. So you really can't leave your religion unless you leave your country. And we've always felt like would like to see them have a ministry within the region. Even though if they have to leave leave their country, they can at least stay in the region where they know the language, the culture. And so we oftentimes come in. We help with safe house resources. We help with cost of living, in some cases medicine when they're sick and connect them into a church body so that they can really grow in their faith and, and be vibrant members of their, their, their Christian, the Christian body there. We dealt with a case of a woman who was a, born a Muslim, very religious Muslim, but her parents sent her to a, a school where I think there was a fair number of Christians in the school, ethnic Christians. And one day they left a Bible on this girl's desk and she began to read it. And she became really struck by what she was reading. And she had wrestled really with this whole idea of how is it that Jesus is just hes just a prophet, which is what it says in Islam. And she began to read about the miracles of Jesus. She realized this man is not a prophet. He's the son of God. And she gives her life to Christ. And she, she does this really bold thing, right? She um, puts a cross around her neck. And now in the Muslim world, that's just... Unacceptable. And the parents didn't accept it. And so they they brought the shake in, and he he beat her. He abused her. He tortured her in ways that are uh, unimaginable. And finally, she was uh, released, and our team on the ground came and actually were able to get her out and get her into a safe house. But this has put our this has put our team at great risk. I mean, I would say a month doesn't go by that some of our team, are not interrogated by the the local secret police of whatever country they're in. And it's a daunting experience. It's not easy. It's a van pulls up with curtain drawn uh, around the window, and you get in and you drive around town until you show up at a building you've never been to before, and they basically interrogate you. Then they're released, and we go back and we do it all over again. And we'll continue to learn how to help the
0: persecuted in the Middle East as we talk with Josh Youssef on First Person. Listening to your station is my first priority when I get home. Sometimes I even listen twice, first on the radio and then through the Internet. Thank you for all your hard work. The Far East Broadcasting Company is dedicated to presenting Christ to the world through radio and new media, and we receive millions of responses every year from grateful listeners. To learn more, visit our website, firstpersoninterview.com. That's FirstPersonInterview.com to learn more about FEBC. Our guest is Josh Youssef. Josh is with Help the Persecuted, and we will put a link to the website for HTP on our program website, FirstPersonInterview.com. Let's personalize what we're talking about. The persecuted in the Middle East and North Africa, that's the area of the world that you focus on, uh, tell us some more of, of stories of what it's really like for uh, people who uh, convert from Islam to Christianity
1: you know for the for the ethnic christian someone like my ancestors who are coptic i mean generations ago they were coptic christian an ethnic christian a coptic christian can remain a christian they have they have three options under a very kind of tyrannical radical islamic system they have three options right it's it's convert to islam die by the sword or pay a penalty, the jizra. Now, the would as long as you pay it, you can remain a Christian in a state of dimitude. You basically are subject to the Islamic powers. The convert really only has two options. Those who leave Islam have two options. It's come back or die. The faith that these men and women express is one that leaves me hungry many times, and leaves me kind of thirsty for what they experience which is uh, their love for Jesus is so strong that they're willing to give up everything and follow him and so that's that's the environment that we're in and um uh, we see this really even in even in very secular environments it it'll it will it it still shocks me to see it in a very secular islamic environment where they will mistreat family members or mistreat uh, those in their community who have left Islam, even my cousins, uh, growing up uh, with Muslim bosses or Muslim colleagues, they always there were many times they were passed up for promotions or passed up for uh, certain job opportunities because of their their Christian identity. Now you take that to someone who's who's converted, it's unbearable. I mean their their life is made so miserable that they can't they can't function and the and the mental torture i mean i i i can't sometimes get my head around this these images of 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 uh, men and women having to literally run out of their house when their dad is chasing them with a knife or their mom saying i disown you you're no longer a part of this family and these people persevere in their relationship with christ in spite of very difficult circumstances
0: Josh, I'm sure you don't get the end story of every person's life, every
1: person you help. Is that ever frustrating? It is. I mean, sometimes the Lord gives us these glimpses into the replicative effect, you know, the the when someone reaches a family a family member or reaches a community for Christ and it really sort of goes beyond just that one person and goes into a larger you know, family context or covenant fa- family context. It's really exciting to watch. I mean, we had a gentleman that I'll call him Yanni. He was an ethnic Christian but didn't, you know, went to church Christmas and Easter. He was the liquor store owner in a small village in northern Iraq. When ISIS came in in 2014, he basically had a couple hours to make a decision. He packed up his car, his wife, and his kids, and they drove— uh, to Erbil, and Erbil at that time was just basically like tent cities, where uh, people were living in their cars and on the streets because they had fled Karakosh and Mosul and some of these towns that we've we've all heard of in the news. He ended up going to Amman, Jordan, and from Amman he his wife got saved at an evangelical church, and his wife kept saying, "You've got to come, you know, come to church." And he said, "Oh, those people are crazy." They're always clapping, and they're so happy, and I, I don't want to be around them. So, But he ended up going one Sunday, <laughs> and he gives his life to the Lord at the end of the service. The pastor just preaches this powerful message. He gives his life to the Lord, and he comes to the pastor, and he says, Look, I, I have to be honest with you. I have no more money. I've got, I can't pay rent. We've used up all our savings from Iraq. And so help the persecuted came in, and we paid his rent for six months. And he was so touched by this, and he, he's... The Lord's doing this great work in him, and the Holy Spirit is is convicting him of things, and he starts tithing. and He says, I've, "I I want to do something. I want to give you my liquor store in Bartella, in the town that I'm from, and I want you to use it for the Lord. I want you to turn it into a church." And so this summer, I got to go to this 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 former liquor store. This neighbors are coming out to you know to see me because they see this sort of Western looking guy coming in. And I said tell me about this place. And they said, oh, we used to come here and get drunk, but now we get drunk off the Holy Spirit. (laughs) And it's you see that, you see what this Christian center is now doing for the community. And the fact that these both Muslims and ethnic Christians are now coming to this place together to worship the Lord. And it might be the first of its kind. And we don't even know. It could be the first evangelical church in 1400 years in this town. And you say, there's several things happening here. One is that what was intended for evil, God overruled and used it for His good. And the other thing is you got to, you see now where it's not just one man who was impacted, but this one man's now act of obedience has now led to a church that is going to be a vessel, you know, for saving souls in the community. I, I want to tell you another story about a guy. I'm going to call him Muhammad. Muhammad was a Muslim Brotherhood leader in Egypt, very high up, uh, had spent time in jail with some very important people within the Muslim Brotherhood. And he began to have a crisis of faith at this time. And he wondered if, well, maybe the problem is is the problems with Sunni Islam, which is, which is what the Muslim Brotherhood believes or a member of. So he goes to Iran to study Shia Islam, and when he goes there, he learns that, okay, it's not Shia Islam. They're not, they don't have the answers. And so he studies every religion, you know, and, and ultimately he kind of comes to the end of himself and says, I just don't believe anything. He becomes an atheist. So he's on Facebook one day and this Iraqi Christian who's living in America writes him. They they're somehow enter into this conversation about religion and the guy says, look, you've studied Sunni Islam, Shia Islam all of all of these other religions, but you've never studied Jesus. Why? And he says, well, because I don't know, I just have never had the opportunity. So he he's in Iran, so he says, well, where am I going to find a Bible? So he downloads a Bible in Arabic and he begins to read. And he is reading the story of the wedding feast at Cana and how Jesus turns the water into wine and he does it at the at the end of the wedding right so it's this the, the best wine is is at the end and he says all of a sudden i'm struck by this verse he said in islam they give us the good wine at first they get us drunk off the good wine and they give us the bad wine at the end he said because at the beginning you're told you know you pray five times a day and you do all these things and you know you'll be right with god he says but once they get you drunk they tell you that all these horrible, horrible things that, you know, Islam, uh, sort of the underbelly. And so he says, but not so with Jesus. So he's radically converted here in Iran and he comes back to a, another Middle Eastern country where we actually have him in hiding. And he now has a ministry online where he's sharing his faith with many of his former Muslim Brotherhood believers. but. I tell you that story to say that the Lord is using unbelievable means, you know, technology and all of these things, right, the, to to bring about glory um, of Himself and 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 knowledge of Him of Himself. And then sometimes we even hear of dreams and visions. We hear of many many people saying that they're seeing Christ in a dream and a vision. I mean. We've heard of whole villages seeing Christ in a dream in, in Algeria, where they've all been thoroughly converted. So it's really exciting to see kind of what God is up to, what he's doing. You know, lately I've been thinking about you know, Matthew 25, when Jesus says, um, when I was thirsty, you gave me water. I was hungry, you fed me. When I was in prison, you came and visited me. And they say, oh, Lord, when did when, when were you like that? When did, You know, we didn't see you like that. And he says, yes. He says, whatever you've done to these, my brothers, you've done unto me this idea that we are the body of Christ, like we are Christ's, we are his representatives. I think of Saul, you know, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me, Jesus says on the road to Damascus. He didn't say, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting my people? He said, why are you persecuting me, my body? Saul is actually persecuting Christ. And so I think the body of Christ that is not experiencing persecution can come alongside these Pauls and support them and encourage them and pray for them and watch and see what God will do, even in circumstances where many of our brothers and sisters are are in a prison, maybe not a physical prison, but it could be a a prison of, of a different sort. Our guest has been Josh Youssef of
0: Help the Persecuted, The ministry that Josh described today is helping many throughout the Middle East, and you can learn more by visiting FirstPersonInterview.com to follow the links we've placed there. Once again, that's FirstPersonInterview.com. And while you're online, please look up the Far East Broadcasting Company to learn about this ministry, which broadcasts in the local language in the nearly 50 countries it serves. Many of these countries are hard to reach places where there's great hunger for God's Word. You'll find links to FEBC at our website, firstpersoninterview.com, and you can learn more about supporting the Far East Broadcasting Company. And if you haven't already, download our free smartphone app, First Person Interview. Now, with thanks to my friend and producer, Joe Carlson, I'm Wayne Shepard inviting you back next time to First Person.